we are two days past Christmas, and here's my question for you. How do you feel right now, two days after Christmas? I know some of you are still in the middle of Christmas celebrations. I know for my family, we have kind of a second Christmas later this afternoon with more extended family. That may be some of you. Uh, Others of you, you may have finished your Christmas celebrations, and now you survey your house and you see the remnants of Christmas, right? The mess and the chaos. You haven't even mustered the courage yet to go look at your bank account at this point uh, in the year, right? How do you feel? You may feel a bit stressed and chaotic. As I talked with people even this morning, the common thread was Christmas was fun, but crazy. Uh, A few years ago, John Grisham wrote a book that some of you may have read called Skipping Christmas. And uh, the premise of the book was that a man named Luther Crank, great name for this book, Luther Crank uh, convinced his wife, Nora, that they should just try to skip Christmas altogether that year. He went and looked at how much they had spent the previous year and found that they had spent $6,000 on gifts and on decorations and on charitable donations. And he said, this year, let's just not do it. And uh, as the book continues, he reaps the consequences of his decision to skip Christmas. So the neighborhood comes to hate him because he ruins their chances at winning the best decorated neighborhood for like the 10th year in a row. The people who sell the fruitcakes and the Christmas cards put him on the blacklist. The local news even comes and does a story about the local Scrooge who will not celebrate Christmas. So the whole town hates him for skipping Christmas. And uh, you get to the end of the book, and of course, I don't think it spoils too much to tell you he finally caves and decides to celebrate Christmas. Uh, But as one walks through the story, you can't help but feel maybe just a twinge of envy or wistful hope that perhaps in my life I could escape all of that chaos and crazy. Uh, Surveys consistently show that although Christmas can be joyful and New Year's season can be joyful, It's also one of the most stressful times of year. Uh, One survey I saw said that 14% of Americans are stressed out by their neighbor's Christmas lights. They, every night, I guess, come home and think, he's going to turn those lights on again, and I hate them, right? And so they feel stressed. Uh, More significantly, 85% feel stressed, understandably, by shopping, uh, by the amount of of money they're going to spend, and perhaps in this day and age, the mortal fear that one carries into the stores, uh, afraid that a sale might result in violence or their own death, right? And so we're stressed. Another survey I saw said that 45% of Americans, given the option, would skip Christmas to avoid all the chaos and stress. Uh, When you think of this season of the year, what words come to your mind? Maybe stress... Maybe debt, maybe more serious words even like grief. Maybe you lost somebody over the course of the last year, and so Christmas, instead of being a joyful time, is a sad time. Maybe loneliness. Maybe you see happy families and find yourself alone. I wonder if the word peace often comes to our minds at this time of year. With everything that surrounds 
the Christmas and New Year's season? Do we often think of the word peace or do we think of a number of other words that have attached themselves to this season that are negative words? It's interesting, most of us, if we're really honest, we don't think of it as a peaceful time of year. And yet, when you look at Luke chapter 2, with the coming of Jesus, what is the announcement that the angel makes to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem? He says, peace on earth. Peace toward those with whom God is pleased. Peace is one of the primary elements that is said to define the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus Christ ought to signify peace, not just peace right now, but peace forever, for eternity. Right? And it's easy for us to, to read those words from Luke chapter 2 and think, well, of course he could say peace. These were shepherds outside Bethlehem in the first century. They didn't have to worry about buying all these Christmas gifts. They didn't have to worry about all the things we worry about. But the reality is they were not living in peaceful times themselves. They were in a nation that was under the subjection of the Roman Empire, which was cruel toward the Jewish people. Their future was uncertain both politically and economically. They had to scrape just to make a living. And shepherds certainly were near the bottom of the economic totem pole. And yet the angel says, peace on earth toward those with whom God is pleased because the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the presence of peace as well as the promise of peace. And I think the reason we often do not experience or feel peace during the Christmas season is because we place our hope for peace on things that can never bear the weight of our hopes. We place our hopes for peace on things like money, on things like our family. And yet then we find that we don't have enough money or our family is filled with conflict. We place our hopes for peace in perhaps some political party or some hope that ISIS will be destroyed. And we think if they were destroyed, there would be peace. And we forget that we thought the same thing about the communists. We thought the same thing about bin Laden. And for centuries, we have thought if this group were gone, there would be peace. There would be peace. There would be peace. And we place our hopes for peace in places that cannot bear the weight of our hopes. And the angel says to the shepherds, as God says to us, peace comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who both both brings peace and promises peace for the future. So we're going to look at that this morning and ask this question, how can we find peace in the midst of what is often a chaotic, stressful, fearful time of year? Where does peace come from? What is peace? And then how can you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, be ambassadors of that peace? So the first thing we want to ask is this question, simply, what is peace? What is the peace that Jesus brings? If you go back to the Old Testament, the word that is translated peace is a Hebrew word that all of us have probably heard, shalom. 
There's no great translation for it, even in the English language. Peace is not really uh, fully adequate to capture the concept of shalom. Now, of course, uh, the New Testament is written in the Greek language, but no doubt the angels, as they announced it to the shepherds, would have said this word in Hebrew, shalom, peace on earth. And the idea of peace is this fullness of life, wholeness of life in which everything is right between me and God. Everything is right between me and you. In fact, shalom even carries the idea that I have enough food. I have enough clothing. I have all of my physical needs met. I have my spiritual needs met. There is peace relationally. There is peace internationally. Shalom is so much more than simply the absence of war itself. And as you look through the Old Testament, it's one of the deep hopes of the Jewish people to find shalom, to find peace. The high priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6, when the priests would bless the people, what did they say? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face or lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, give you peace. Day in, day out, they would bless the people and say, God give you peace. And yet, as you walk through the history of the people, peace was impossible for them to find. They were always at odds with other nations. They were always at odds with God because of idolatry and sin, and they were always at odds with one another because of the conflict that sin creates. And so, you begin to see these promises work their way through the prophets of peace that one day God will come and he will bring the shalom, he will bring the peace that you cannot create. So, for example, if you look at Ezekiel chapter 34, starting in verse 25, God says through the prophet, I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing and I will cause showers to come down in their season. They will be showers of blessing. Also the tree of the field will yield its fruit and the earth will yield its increase and they will be secure on their land. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bars of their yoke and have delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be a prey to the nations and the beasts of the earth will not devour them, but they will live securely. No one will make them afraid. I will establish for them a renowned planting place and they will not again be victims of famine in the land and they will not endure the insults of the nations anymore. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men and I am your God. You see that promise that it is physical fullness, physical provision. It is freedom from war, freedom from conflict. In fact, Ezekiel even says the beasts of the field won't attack you anymore. There won't be lions and tigers and bears in the woods that are going to eat you as you go about your life. You will have a perfect relationship with God, and God will usher that in. See, we don't experience peace often because we place our hopes in things that can never bring peace, and we look to our circumstances and we say, I want peace but we seldom look to the God who can bring peace. Now, the reality is that all of us, if we 
think about it, can probably think of moments where we felt a sense of shalom, right? A sense that everything was right with the world. So maybe it was on a vacation to the mountains and you're in the car with your family. And as you drive through the mountains, everybody seems that they are at peace and they're looking at the beauty of the mountains and uh, you hold hands with your spouse and you begin to sing a song of praise, right? And your children join in with this song of praise for the mountains and the car is humming along and the mountains are beautiful and it is a moment of shalom. And then what happens? You hear a pop, the tire goes flat. Your spouse looks over and says, did you check the tires before we left? You shoot something back. She shoots something back to you. The kids begin to cry. One of them punches another. They wrestle in the back seat. And it's no longer that the mountains seem beautiful. They seem threatening, right? Because now you're all alone on a mountain road with a spouse who might hurt you and kids who are hurting one another. No one's singing songs of praise, right? See, we have moments of shalom, but they're all too fleeting, aren't they? They come and they go all too quickly. I mean, think about Christmas. All of the preparation, all of the chaos, all of the spending, all of the family conflict, and maybe you have a moment or two on Christmas morning where you open those presents or you sit with your kids or you read the story of Jesus from Scripture and it's calm and it's peaceful and then it just as quickly devolves into chaos. The shalom that we experience here and now, it never lasts. And what the angel promises is that there is a shalom, a peace that is coming through Jesus that will last forever. And because we know that that peace will last forever, it settles in our hearts so that even amidst the chaos and stress of our world, we know we have peace through Jesus. Right? And so Jesus is the one who comes to restore our peace. Shalom is this sense of fullness of life with God. Jesus is the one who comes to bring it. And his incarnation is the evidence that God steps into time. God became a man so that he could restore the peace that we lost through sin. Because the world itself, Romans 8 tells us, is groaning, awaiting its redemption. And Jesus comes to redeem it. Not just so that we will go to heaven, but actually so that heaven will come to earth. And so Jesus is the one that restores that peace. We often try to restore the chaos of our worlds, don't we? If you are a mom, you know the frustration of trying to restore order out of chaos. No matter how many toys you pick up, there are always more that are coming to land on the floor and on the sofa. Uh, All of us parents have had experiences of walking through the house and we go with the kids and we pick everything up and we make it clean and then we come right back through the house literally moments later and it's chaos again. Uh, No matter how much laundry you wash, there will always be more tomorrow. I have one child who at times wears four or five shirts in a day, 
right? Our goal in life is to get him down to three. No matter how much we wash, there's always more. Our friend Chamilla was staying with us over the weekend, and I was washing some dishes. And she said, you know, when I first started staying here uh, a week or so ago, I was eager to help with washing the dishes. And then she said, I felt this despair creep into my heart when I realized that no matter how many I wash, just in a few hours, the sink will be full again of dishes. See, we do our best to create order out of chaos, to create peace, but we can't. Only God, who made the universe, who made the world, can bring peace. And so the angel in Luke 2 says, here is the one who has come to bring peace. For all who know Jesus Christ, here's how peace then begins to operate. First and foremost, we find peace with God. Romans chapter 5 Verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, that is, when you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, you are made right with God. He says, having been justified by faith, we now have what? Peace with God through Jesus Christ. See, it begins when we recognize that because of Jesus Christ, God now looks on his people with favor, and there is no longer enmity between me and God. And if you have not believed in Jesus Christ this morning, you need to know that peace, inwardly, outwardly, peace in your heart, peace in your world, begins with peace with God. Recognizing that Jesus, the one who was born at Christmas, died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. He rose again. He defeated death. He defeated sin. And all who believe in him now have peace with God. That peace with God then leads us toward peace with one another. Peace relationally. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul puts it this way. Says, therefore, he says, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Going down a bit, he says, verse 14, he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, that is, Jew and Gentile. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. See, what happens is if I know that I have peace with God, then I am free to extend that peace to others because if God forgives me in Jesus Christ, then I can forgive others. So even Jew and Gentile who hated one another typically, who stayed far away, and Gentile could not even approach the throne of God. They could not approach the temple and offer sacrifices. They were distant. Paul says, now in Jesus Christ, there is peace with God. And because there's peace with God, you can have peace with one another. We can worship together. We can love one another. We can care for one another as God has called us to do. And that peace operates in our hearts through the Spirit. So we have peace with God. We have peace with others. And then we have the promise that one day there will be peace forever and ever and ever. And that's what we see in Revelation 21. Now, if you remember, I read Ezekiel chapter 34, where God promised to the people that one day, one day he would wipe away 
war and he would wipe away the fear of death and he would wipe away sin. When we get to Revelation 21, we see that happen and we see it happen not through people, but through Jesus, the risen son of God. 21 verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. When Jesus returns, heaven comes to earth and peace reigns forever. No more death, no more sin, no more crying, no more pain. So that in the midst of the chaos of our world, through the spirit of God, you and I have peace. One of the great Christmas passages that we often quote at this time of year comes from Isaiah chapter 9. What does it say? For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. So Luke chapter 2, when the angel comes and says peace, that peace is not simply this promise of, you know, I can feel good despite the fact that I have no hope. It's not a peace that is rooted in how much is in my bank account. It's not a peace that is rooted in whether or not there's conflict in my family. It's not a peace that is rooted in whether or not the nations of the world are at rest. It's a peace that is rooted in the reality that I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And that Jesus Christ now will return and establish peace forever. What that means then is not even death, not even death can shake that peace. Nothing in this world can shake the reality of what God has brought in Jesus Christ. See, if the fear of death is removed, what really is there to be afraid of? If the fear of alienation from God is taken away, what's left to be afraid of? If God defeated Satan himself through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what's there to be afraid of? And so every enemy has been defeated so that I now sit in a place place of absolute security before God knowing that I have peace now and for eternity. And for those who know Jesus Christ, the privilege that we then have is to be ambassadors of God's peace in a world that is anything but peaceful. We get to be little lights that reflect the great light of God. I was thinking on Christmas night, we had a candlelight dinner at our house with our family. And 
we turned off the lights, we lit candles, we sat around the table. And one of the things that we talked about as we were sitting there with those candles was the concept that uh, you really can see the candles so brightly when none of the other lights are on, right? The darker it gets in the room, the more easily you see those candles light up. And as I thought about that, I thought, but we live in a very, very dark world. We live in a broken, sinful, violent, dark world. And yet the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually that the darker it gets, the brighter we have the opportunity to shine. Because we have a peace that lasts forever. We have a peace that cannot be shaken. So that as Jesus said, we, we are the light of the world. Not because of who we are in ourselves, but because of who he is and what he has done. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul says, that's my mission in life, that I carry this peace of God, and my mission in life is to be an ambassador of the peace of God given through Jesus Christ. So at work, at home, with my family, in the midst of the chaos of Christmas and New Year's, I am an ambassador of the peace of God given through Jesus Christ, because the peace of God is something everybody needs and very few have. And so if we carry something, that everybody needs and very few have. We have the opportunity and the responsibility to be ambassadors. A couple of years ago, I was at the grocery store with my kids, and uh, Shannon was not with us. I had taken them to the store, and we were on one side of the store when I heard this announcement over the loudspeaker that said, anybody who would like a free gift, go over uh, by the deli on the other side of the store. So uh, I thought, we've got a few extra minutes. So I walked over to the other side of the store to get this free gift. And those of you who have heard these announcements before, of course, know where this is going. Uh, I walked into a sales pitch Right? And so we are standing in a circle, and there are probably 10 or 15 of us who heard this, and this man gave us a very, very small gift, probably worth pennies. It was a little plastic uh, like lemon juicer that you could stick into a lemon and make lemon juice, but then he proceeded uh, to follow that up with a sales pitch for a set of knives that he wanted us to buy. But here's what happened. The transition from handing out the gift to the sales pitch was so seamless that I I was captivated and drawn in. And uh, he began to demonstrate how wonderful these knives were, that I had to have them. He pulled them out and he showed how they could even cut wood objects without going dull, right? And then he began to explain that if you bought these knives today, there were multiple additional gifts that would come in the set. And that set you could only buy right now. And there were only a very limited quantity of them there. Now, what's interesting is I knew he was lying to us, right? I knew that I could probably buy this online anywhere. But as I listened, somehow this shift happened in my mind. And I thought, I really do need these, I have to have them. And 
when else am I going to get them, right? When else am I going to get knives? It didn't even cross my mind that uh, we have lots of knives at our house already. Uh, he finished this sales pitch, and I was so totally drawn in that he goes, all right, who wants one of these exclusive gifts? And my hand went up, and I purchased $40 worth of knives at the grocery store on a total impulse. Uh, I don't tell this story with any pride at all. Uh, I got home with the knives, and I walked in the kitchen, and I go, look what I bought. And Shannon goes, we, have a, we already have a lot of knives, right? And I opened them up, and I began to look at them to show them to her, and I realized these are not made of stainless steel. Like you said, they are constructed from my shame, right? <laughs> at my lack of self-control. Uh, but I still use them largely to justify their purchase, even to this day, okay? <laughs> And in fact, I will say, I came in the kitchen the other day, and Shannon was using one of them. And she said, I, I wanted you to see that I'm using one of your knives. And I said, is it because you realized that that was the best knife to use? And she said, no, it's because I wanted to validate you, okay? <laughs> Why do I tell that story? Because at the moment, I was convinced he had something I absolutely needed to have, and it was a limited supply. Now, the reality is I didn't need it. I wasn't going to die without an extra set of knives. Okay? But as believers in Jesus Christ, we have something that truly will not wear out. Right? Those knives are going to wear out. They will go dull, despite the promises of the salesman. The gospel of Jesus Christ promises a peace that will last forever and ever and ever. Promises a world in which chaos will not reign, in which things will no longer degenerate toward death and destruction and chaos. You and I carry that message. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof that the message is true. And the incarnation of Jesus Christ, what we celebrate at Christmas, is the reminder each year that God stepped into our sinful, broken world to bring us peace. So as we walk through the rest of this season, here are the the two exhortations for us. One, practice peace. Now again, if if you don't know Jesus and you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, the the critical message for you this morning is you cannot find the peace you're seeking apart from Him. You will not find it. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to start a new series on Ecclesiastes. And as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, that's one of the things that we will see. Nothing you place your faith in will give you peace. Not money, not power, not sex, not your job, not prestige, not your spouse, not your kids. None of it will bring you peace apart from Jesus. But as we place our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we now recognize that through him we can have peace with God, peace with others, and we anticipate eternal peace. And so during this time, practice peace. Read the Word of God. Read Romans 5. Read Revelation 21. And meditate on the reality of the God who gave His own Son to bring us peace. And then proclaim peace. 
be an ambassador of peace to your family, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your friends, who I guarantee feel a lack of peace, particularly if they don't know Jesus Christ. Be a voice of reconciliation in the midst of troubled relationships. Be a voice for the gospel to those who have not heard it. Be an ambassador of the peace of Jesus Christ because we carry a message that is eternal, that everybody needs, and that will never be obsolete. So unlike the promises of this world, so unlike the gifts that we unwrap this weekend. The peace of God in Jesus Christ will bring peace to reign in our hearts despite whatever circumstances we're facing even right now. And, and I'm aware that even in this room, some of us don't feel at peace with the circumstances of our lives. Right? The gospel of Jesus Christ does not promise that right now the grief or the loneliness or the pain that we feel will disappear. It does promise that it will one day. And because of that, we have no need for fear. For fear. We have no need for anxiety, for chaos in our hearts because we know God is coming to bring us peace forever. And so peace can rest in us. So practice peace. Proclaim peace as we go out. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. It is a gift of immense grace that you have given us your word to know you. It is even greater grace that you have revealed yourself in Jesus Christ. Father, we praise you that in him we see grace and truth perfectly mixed together. We praise you that in him we see that you, uh, you are favorable toward us and want us to be reconciled to you and want our world to have peace. And so I pray we would place the weight of our hope for peace only in Jesus and not in this world. Thank you, Father, for all you have given and all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.